Okay, uh, before the questions here, um, I just want to do a quick announcement that if you are interested in learning more about this plan, uh, you can go to the website uh, lethbridge.ca slash reconciliation. If you're interested in getting a shirt, we have shirts for September 30th, um, Orange Shirt Day, um, where everyone wears orange to commemorate those uh, that attended the or the residential schools. And on the back it says, Every Child Matters. You can go to the City of Lethbridge to pick those up. As well, if you're interested in implementation plan, you can go to the City of Lethbridge to get those as well. And we do have event uh, posters on our Facebook page at Reconciliation Lethbridge. So thank you, Jerry, for reminding me to say all that. I brought the shirt, but I didn't show it. Uh, but it's a really, really well done. So awesome. Questions? Okay. My name is Bob Campbell. Uh, Roy, thanks for your presentation. Well done. Uh, could have been much longer um, <laughs> because we know there's a lot more in the plan. Yeah. My question to you is... Um, you opened or prefaced your remarks by acknowledging your presence on traditional Blackfoot land. And we know that now the city of Lethbridge, uh, when they have events, they do have that acknowledgement as well. So I'd like you just to comment a little bit on why that's important and uh, a little bit of the discussion we had around that whole issue on the committee. It was very interesting. Oh, I so. appreciate Thanks, Bob. Yeah, and Bob was on our committee as well, helping out. Um, that's a good question. Um, when we started, it was brought up at, at the committee meeting that we should have an acknowledgement statement. Um, um, it was very important to, and I just see Mayor Spearman over there. He was part of the discussions as well. Um, we started discussing about how um, city officials would acknowledge that they were on Blackfoot territory. What is some appropriate messaging to say when you're making an acknowledgement statement? And, and what was important about that? And so we had discussed it and we said maybe we need to incorporate and include um, elders and knowledge keepers' opinions on developing the acknowledgement statement. So we had an open call to elders where we had about uh, seven elders join us in one evening to discuss the statement and discuss what it means and to make sure that we had the appropriate wording and that we had the appropriate language we were using when we were acknowledging that we are on Blackfoot land. The acknowledgement statements themselves in full are written in the reconciliation plan, both the long form acknowledgement statement and the short form. And this has been a common practice of reconciliation committees uh, across the country, both from municipalities and academic institutions. So the discussion really was a long discussion, uh, but it was in fact the elders that guided this process and got us to uh, where we needed to get with that acknowledgement statement. So we really, we really do appreciate their time and their guidance on that as well. So thanks, Bob. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. I much enjoyed your presentation, and I will go to Reconciliation Week events. But the SAGPA flyer advertises that you're going to tell us about the specifics of the plan that was approved by City Council. So would you please tell us about the specifics of the sure. plan? Sure. So I kind yeah. of, I don't have my clicker here, but I'll go back. So these, these are the specific calls to action that the municipality, so in the calls to action themselves, they have provincial responsibility, federal responsibility, municipal responsibility, academic institutions, and they also talked about religious and faith-based institutions and how they could work. So in the process, we combed through the calls to action and we looked at which ones had a direct affiliation that the municipality could work on in advancing the work of the calls to action. 
Um, so bringing those forward, I mean, these were the ones that were in there. Um, maybe I didn't elaborate enough, but again, professional development was one of the big ones and putting budget money or something forward to allow for the teaching of um, Indigenous history, Indigenous stories. Now, prior to this, um, the municipality did have educational sessions with uh, both Travis Plated here and Francis First Charger came in to work with senior managers and our city council. I, should, I shouldn't say our, I should say the city council. I'm not there anymore, so <laughs> I'm talking like I'm still at the city. But they came in to do educational sessions with them in prep for a lot of this work. Uh, but then uh, when it came down to professional development, it's how can we interweave that history within the main training for uh, employees that are entering the corporation? And how can they be exposed to this on a sustainable and continued basis? Uh, so that's not a one-off training that you kind of forget about. And so that's some of the discussion around professional development. So these are the calls to action that we combed through as a committee and directly felt applied to the municipality. I didn't go into the committee's role, but when you read the plan itself, so these were the direct municipal actions. We have the direct community support recommended actions as well. And those are more of the broader actions like around child welfare, education, language and culture, et cetera. But these were the principles that the, the city is saying, yes, we are going to uh, have outcomes on these calls to action. So those were the ones there. So I don't know how to further elaborate on that, Trevor, but um, if you read the document, it'll tell you a bit more about what the potential city action will be, um, as well as who's the lead on it, which lead department, and what are some comments to support uh, these actions. So is that, is that okay, Trevor? Because if we came to listen to what the specific actions are, because I think a lot of us in this room agree with what you said is the baseline situation, mm -hmm. there is discrimination. Mm -hmm. So what are we doing to get over that? What are the specifics of the plan? I'm familiar with the situation on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa and Rwanda. Mm -hmm. I would hate to see this one fail because the other two have so far. And if you're talking about an example for Canada, I'd like to know what the specifics are. Well, I think, I think Trevor, one of the things you have to realize is this action plan itself is an example. Uh, so, I mean, taking those calls to actions, putting them into an implementation plan and rolling them out, this is the framework for how we're going to proceed with this work. So Reconciliation Week is one actionable example that's going to come out of it. Having a march, education, getting our branding out there are some of the concrete actions that we're doing. Um, as far as the work of the committee, it was a highly consultative process that we had to bring what that document meant. Now, when I say that we're ahead of the game as far as an implement implementation plan is concerned, all I'm simply saying is other, other municipalities around have simply said, we believe reconciliation is important, but they haven't put it to paper and their council hasn't endorsed an actual concrete plan directing those actions to the, to the, to the councillors, to the members of council, to the corporation, and this plan is that actionable piece. That's the next step. Now, where it goes from here, that's the work of the committee and the work of people wanting to get involved with that process, but reconciliation weeks, that first step, in taking action 
to educate about this plan, to educate about what reconciliation is, and to move this process forward. And we hope throughout the year we'll have a number of events and a number of opportunities. But those are the direct actions. These are just the calls to actions that came for the municipality to follow. So I don't... Sorry, before we get to the next question, is there a committee or some way for... for individuals to be more involved on those? Absolutely. So we have a reconciliation committee that meets once a month and then there's subcommittees off that committee that work for event planning, for looking at the calls to action and a number of things. Um, anyone is available to join and again that information that I gave you, uh, Jerry Firth and Amanda Scout are our point people on that. It's open to anyone to who wants to come and be a part of the planning. It's completely open process. It's just a matter of taking that step to be able. Jerry, can I give him your email? Okay. <laughs> It's jerry.firth at lethbridge.ca, so, with a J. <laughs> so if you want to contact Jerry, it is open for anyone's involvement, and, and we've said that since the beginning of the process. Firth, yeah. Yes, I'm Chris Spearman, as many of you know. Uh, I'd just like to say it's a 10-year plan, and it's the beginning, it's a framework. And we're going to expand that plan. It's real. There's people like Jacinta and Amanda that are, uh, that are here today that are very much part of that. And our urban indigenous people were uh, a big part of making this uh, plan real. It's real to them. I can tell you that as when I am uh, going about city business and thinking about decisions, it's great to come to these meetings and hear feedback about what the expectations are. It's pretty obvious what the problems are. The problems in the city are we have a motto that says equal opportunity for all. Well, when it comes to unemployment, and our Indigenous people have far higher rates of unemployment. When it comes to homelessness, our Indigenous people have far higher rates of uh, homelessness. Uh, you know, when there's, there's a, a, a series of social issues and you can rhyme them all off, you know what? We don't have equal opportunity for all. So, the, the fact that we're the first city in Alberta to adopt a response to the truth and reconciliation is a starting point. It says we're going to make a difference and we're going to change. And we're going to live up to our motto. And we want to expand that message to the whole community. Yesterday, I attended the meeting of the city and the, and the two school boards. And I did tell them, it's really important that next week when we have reconciliation week, that the school divisions be involved as well. They're doing great work in, in the schools to provide uh, support for our indigenous students. They have indigenous aides there. Uh, but we need to work as a community together. The, the next pieces are employers, the chambers of commerce, the construction association, or institutions of higher learning. We need to go forward so that young children who are attending our schools today know that when they graduate, they will have the same opportunities as any other uh, children graduating from those institutions. I also work with Travis Plated here, who is uh, the head of the, uh, is it the, the great the, it, it's the Traditional Knowledge Society, and uh, Travis gives me a lot of very practical advice, and um, he's working with those social issues. Last week, I toured the Homeless Centre.
to, to see uh, the issues that we have in our city. We want to make sure that our homeless center is a temporary facility, not thought of as a permanent home for the people that live there. And we need to make sure that we're, we're moving forward on Sorry. those issues. Um, I really appreciate everything. And the question as well was that, is Lethbridge responding adequately to the TRC? Yep. And I feel like it is election season. We'll be able to have these conversations, but I'd really like... I'm not making it an election issue. I'm, I'm answering Trevor's question. I understand, but okay. we do have... Okay. I'll, let, I'll let others speak. If Thank there's you. any other questions, you know, Roy can answer them. But if at out, after this, I'm happy to answer any questions too. But we're looking at this issue seriously as a council. Yeah. Thank you, Mayor Stoneman. I'd also like to take this opportunity to ask if there are any other women in the room that would like to come and ask some questions. I would really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, my name is Terry Shillington. Thank you, Roy, for your presentation. Uh, excellent uh, in some ways, although I find it, as, as Trevor's question implied, short on specifics. M my question kind of heads in the same direction. I realized as you ended with that slide on decolonization that that's become a buzzword, um, especially among in, in people on this subject. But I know a lot of people, including three or four grandchildren, who couldn't begin to explain what, what that is. So I wonder if you, I don't want the theory about what it means. Could you give me some concrete examples of what colonial thinking is and what it means to decolonize? Sure, and, I, and that's a very good question. Thank you. Uh, I think when we're talking about decolonization, we're talking about decolonizing systems that are in place. So you're right, for example, children won't know the term decolonization, but certainly if we can look at our educational institutions and see the way in which education's being taught. So if you look back even from my day to the way it is today, education was always taught from a whole different perspective. Bringing in more versions of indigenous education, different forms of knowledge and incorporating indigenous knowledge into classrooms is one way in which we start to decolonize institutions or structures. Uh, we look at things right now in academia called indigenization, and they're looking at how do we make uh, universities, liberal, liberal education universities, so that students have access to this knowledge on a ready basis, so that we incorporate the usage of elders, traditional knowledge keepers within the frames of education. This is just one example. This works the same for political institutions. Or um, um, even when we look at how politics are done or employment practices are done, we have to start looking at what is culturally relevant to indigenous people? How do we start to change the frameworks for which we've always done this? And the education is just one example. Uh, when we look in politics, getting more indigenous candidates involved in politics, working closer, like we look at Cindy Blackstock and the child welfare situation, we look at getting funding and money into indigenous uh, communities so that their children can have the same shot at a good education as our, as mainstream Canadian children do. Those are just some of the things we're talking about when we talk about decolonizing structures and systems. And, and those are some of the practices, it, it, to give some concrete examples. Congratulations, Roy, on your presentation and um, your work, and the work of you people, too, that support him and work with him. and coming up with this plan for the city. But oh, I wanted to kind of address the comment by Mr. Page, and just from um, from my perspective, as a, I'm a lawyer, I practiced in uh, representing claimants in the residential school 
process uh, for compensation for sexual and physical abuse in residential school. My children are members of the Blood Tribe, and also my eldest is a member of the Big Stone Cree Nation, so my children are Indigenous Canadians. I, um, I want to say, in response to your question, that, and I'm not mean to, meaning to sound um, rude or anything, but these things can't be spoon-fed to you. You know, there's work on your part to be done. So you don't, you can't come here and expect a magic solution to a problem that is generations um, in in its creation and will take some time to alleviate. So, um, you know, your your work is to do your part. And I would urge you to buy a copy of the the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, book that. Uh, contains all the calls to action and is and contains also a summary it's available at chapters or at the University of Lethbridge bookstore I believe mm. or you can buy it online you can also look at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission website and you can read up there so there are things you can do not just within this institutional setting of the municipality but within other institutions you belong to other clubs you can say to your club that you belong to. Here's a call to action that addresses specifically our responsibility in this particular area. I did it for our swim club. I urged our swim club to say, how can we make, because athletic um, pursuit is a really a strong way that indigenous children can come forward and, and can integrate um, it with their culture, but also um, into society and thrive. So those, I, I'm calling action, I'm calling you to take action. Okay, respectfully. Hi, Barb Phillips. First of all, you're an awesome jigger. <laughs> Thank you, Barb. Um, but my, uh, my question is that this summer I had the privilege of going to Blackfoot Crossing and near Gleeson and didn't spend enough time there, but enough, a little bit one day, enough that perhaps I was really impressed because it's their story in their own words. And I'm wondering if our municipality, because we are closest to the blood reserve, is thinking of anything along these lines because I was more than impressed. I thought it was awesome. Thank you for your comment. No, that's a great comment. Um, you're, you're right. Um, one of the biggest calls to action is commemoration and it is uh, utilizing public art in our communities. Uh, the term is debatable, but it's called indigenizing communities as well, where we look at public art, where it's being established, the story being told, like you said, in the words of the people, of the rights holders, of the people that are, are offering that knowledge. So in the action plan is, con is definitely consideration for those opportunities here in the city. And I know that there's being work done um, in that realm to look at, for example, what Calgary's done with naming certain areas and stuff like that so there is work being done on that realm and myself I, i'm i'm as excited as you are to see that come to fruition yeah thanks roy for your presentation uh mary shillington uh our church mckillop united has been involved in we had you come and talk about some of the things that were going on um, so i just wanted and we're circulating this Reconciliation Week poster. So if you haven't seen this, go on the website and get it. I can't print it off in color because I don't have color, but the red and blue are very nice. Uh, but there's so many things that we can be doing. And a couple of questions that maybe you might expand a little bit on. 
uh, the blanket exercise. Now, a lot of people won't know what that means, so could you say a little bit about what that means? For sure, thank uh, you. Trina Tallow, yeah. who is here, wave your hand, Trina. Yeah. Uh, she, they are working on faceless dolls uh, and wanting people to take that on as a project so that they can be then uh, blessed on October 2nd and the ha- presented an individual on October 4th. So we're going to take that back to our congregation and see if we can get some people to do that. So for those who are looking for projects, uh, there, there's a couple of projects, and including taking part in a blanket exercise or learning how to facilitate one with some Indigenous people. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Mary. That's great. Um, yeah, our two of our facilitators are in the room today, uh, Jacinda and Amanda. I'll call them out. They're actually facilitating the blanket exercise on that Friday. And the blanket exercise, I know this was an exercise that came out uh, years ago from Kairos, who uh, passed along a lot of the training and facilitation. The blanket exercise itself is where you bring your own blanket and Jacinda and Amanda facilitate the process and you have to take steps in that process to understand kind of the history of colonialism, the history of residential schools. And it's a pretty experiential process because you have actually a pretty hard process as well and then they debrief the process after. Um, so it's really an, ex- it's an experiential opportunity to learn. And, and like Mary alluded to with the Faceless Doll Project that we've been doing for years on Sisters in Spirit, this is a great opportunity to get involved to even cut out the dolls, decorate the dolls, there's so much of that needed, and of course, uh, get as many ready for that day as possible. So that's really great that you guys are doing that. Thank you, yeah. Thank you very much for your talk. <clears throat> I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. I've taken part in the blanket exercise. I think it was one of the most profound experiences uh, I, I, I had and made me feel things at a, a very deep level deep level of understanding. Um, So I would recommend anyone who could take part in that or learn to uh, uh, be involved in it to do so. I have two questions for you. It seems to me that you're talking about a a framework in which you're working within traditional colonial structures in our society and making them more accessible. But my question about that is shouldn't we be looking at changing the structures in our society so that they're not all top-down structures, but we look at learning from people who were here first about how to collaborate and cooperate with one another and work together as a team rather than fighting with each other and always having to be one-upsmanship, which I see as the problem of our whole society that we clamber all over each other and that's part of our greed orientation and our capitalism and so on. The other question is, how, how within the framework that you have do we deal with the individual other than in the blanket exercise and maybe the faceless doll exercise, I don't know, yeah. to help those of us who are not indigenous peoples, who are not Métis peoples, to have that empathy experience, to have that real change of understanding because I think it's that deep understanding that is that is part of what's missing and creates some of the rift in our society. So those are my two questions. Thank okay. you. Okay, so, uh, so to answer your first question, Bev, which is a very good question, I mean, changing institutions is, is definitely uh, 
an important way to look at things. And we've been working at changing institu institutions for a number of years. Even when indigenous movements and activism started straight out of World War I, there's always been this push to try to change institutions, to be more based on indigenous knowledge practices. Um, the hardest part about that is where the funding comes from, the way the system is set up, um, also, just like you had mentioned to capitalism and a number of those other things that play a large role in our society, our goal on in our communities is to have education done our way. And that was the whole Indian control of Indian education post-residential schools and during that, during the reports was to control the education that we provide for our youth. Um, on reserves, there's definitely systems that are trying to change the model to indigenous learnings but in our mainstream society i mean changing institutions I, I i don't have the answers to that question for you outside of just continuing to speak up and be active on the role of institutions and like the answer to uh to the one uh, gentleman's question was is how do we start to indigenize these places and and provide safe spaces for people um but changing institutions i mean it's it's a good idea uh, but it's it's a lot of work and it's been ongoing for a long time. My my ancestors fought for this, <laughs> the other generation fought for this, the other generation fought for this. I'm just the next person in line fighting for this, and maybe one day my kids will fight for this if I ever have kids. But uh, we're we're gonna we're, we're gonna keep working on that, right? And I think this is a part of that process. The second question was, sort the second question, empathy. Ah. Oh, we only have five minutes. I'll just give you the quick one, Bev. Like Ingrid uh, so eloquently alluded to, this is up for individual. Like this plan is just a framework for our community move forward. Individual activism and getting involved like the blanket exercise, and we're going to work as hard as we can to provide more personal opportunities for people to learn. We're going to work as hard as we can to educate the public about what we're doing. And we're going to hopefully have people just want to get involved because this is where they want to be. And that's our hopes as a committee moving forward. What's that, Trina? Right. And as Trina mentioned, thank you, Trina, the TP exercises are there too, where you'll go around from a different TP and there will be a different knowledge keeper in the TP to talk about a certain subject um, as it applies to reconciliation. And we're doing cooking and reconciliation. So you have to you have to cook and talk about reconciliation, which is kind of a unique opportunity. <laughs> Muriel Mello. Roy, thanks for your presentation. I've got a question about the action plan, and it's useful to know that it's 10 years. And my question is, what sort of interim evaluations are, is, are there interim evaluations built into that? When will they be? What kinds of things will you be looking for? And I want to know that as a citizen. So I can ask people that question and be aware, keep listening for that, to, to be a, uh, a responsible uh, participant in the city. Thank you, uh, Muriel. Um, yes, uh, so we talked a lot about the evaluative uh, function of this. And, and one of the things that we did when we went to council in June was we asked them if we could come back in a year to provide them with an update to council. Now, one of, one of the hardest parts and is that we, this project, there's no real budget to funding this project. It's really coming from volunteers, and it's coming from a lot of people putting in their personal time to work on an important subject matter. So one of the things we'll definitely be looking for and why reporting and evaluation becomes important is 
for to ask for budget to move this forward and that's one of the next things in a year that we're hoping to accomplish so we have people on our committee that will continue to evaluate how we've done things and have that reporting as we want to go back to council every year and so those evaluative measures have been put in just based on us doing that practical research yeah like we're going to be documenting the events that we put on the people that attend a number of the things that will happen throughout the year are evaluative because we need to know our numbers too of how many people are attending if we put on a movie thing if we put on you know that quantitative data that's pretty important but it's also the qualitative piece that we really want to capture here is how this has affected people so if you've come to some of our events throughout the year we want to know how it's affected you that qualitative and quantitative piece are very important as we move forward to reporting to uh to council in a year yeah i'm just letting everyone know this will be our last question thank you Knud. hi my name is uh Knud peterson thanks very much for coming roy i'm actually going to give a quick public service announcement here <laughs> <laughs> first before my question uh tomorrow at the coast hotel the provincial government is uh consulting citizens of Lethbridge on uh, time change, uh, whether we should have daylight saving times or not. But I, th I think they're trying to say we should have daylight saving time year round. But uh, anyone can uh, go t and give their opinion at the Coast Hotel during the day tomorrow. Uh, and speaking about consultations, that leads right into my question. Uh, have you uh, made any uh, effort to, because the provincial government is consulting on curricular uh, updates and modernizing our school curriculum, uh, have you made any presentation to them in terms of uh, uh, teaching kids about what's been going mm -hmm. on in Canada? Mm -hmm. One minute, okay. I, and thank you, Knud. Uh, I believe uh, Minister Egan is going around making his rounds to consult different communities um, I don't know if or when he will come to Lethbridge to consult um, us but if he does we would love to obviously have this conversation with him uh, when it comes but like for example the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples also uh, fostered by the provincial government is something that we've tried to collaborate in our plan as well um, but I hope that's to I hope that's coming I hope we get that opportunity to have that discussion with him. Yeah, no thanks. And just one more thing uh, that I wanted to also mention uh, to Muriel um, was that we're also tracking like volunteers who participated and Stantec is actually bringing 20 volunteers on Friday uh, to help us with that process as well as the Chamber of Commerce is also looking at how they can help us with that week, um, whether that be through volunteers or some financial capacity. Um, but even, yeah, so further to that, um, we are going to be reporting to that National um, Reconciliation Council as well to get our stats at that national level. So that's it. Thank you, Roy. One more round of applause for our speaker. Again, thank you to SACPA for having these. Um, before everyone leaves, I would like to just take a quick moment to acknowledge the Indigenous women in the room who have been doing the work of reconciliation and healing long before there was an implementation plan. So thank you very much. As well as I understand that um, it is important to take these topics home with you and have these conversations. I encourage you to read Chelsea Vowell's work 
on be going beyond territorial acknowledgements, as well as Billy Ray Belcourt and Andrea Smith. Please take those home with you. And if you're wondering how to get involved, money is really important. So please, Lethbridge Indigenous Sharing Network, FNMI Gathering Place, Opacossin, all of these places need your support. And I thank you very much for coming out today.